coming up on Philosophy Talk. I think I'm a really good person. Where does that come from? Morality and the self. We walk around, a lot of us thinking, well, I know what good and bad is. I know what my moral compass is. Does being good give you permission to later be bad? We do one good thing, and that gives us some sort of license to do less good things. You buy green products, you're more likely to cheat. Do we demonize those whose good behavior brings out our own shortcomings? Why do we resent heroes, virgins, and vegetarians? People who act more morally by taking a principal stance, I resent it as being too moral. Do our biases cloud our moral judgments? Our guest is Stanford psychologist Benoit Monet. Part of what I think psychologists can do is put morality in the context of all the other things that occupy our daily life. Recorded in front of a live audience at the Mars Theater in San Francisco. A lot of people in the audience are probably skeptical whether what we're talking about applies to them, but they know a lot of people who are just like that. Morality and the self, coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the Marsh Theater, San Francisco's breeding ground for new performance. Our thinking originates at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Welcome to Philosophy Talk. Our topic today is morality and the self. Now, John, most people think of themselves as pretty decent types. Maybe not saints, but I'm sure most people tell themselves that they're willing to do the right thing at least most of the time. But if you examine the way we behave in actual situations, situations that put our character to the test, will we actually measure up to our own moral self-assessment? Well, you know, that's a really good question. Social psychologists have long known that our evaluations of other people are suspect in interesting and surprising ways. And more recently, they've uncovered surprising and I think really provocative, kind of depressing results about the ways in which people evaluate their own moral characters. Example. Suppose Alice sees Bob trip over a rock. Alice might think, boy, Bob is clumsy and careless and real oaf. But now what if Alice herself trips over that very same rock? Alice is going to think, oh, who's the idiot who put that rock there for me to trip over? So here's the regularity. In evaluating other people, people are much more likely to focus on disposition, character, to the exclusion of situation. Oh, what a clumsy oaf. While in evaluating our own actions, we take full account of the situation. Who put that rock there? Social psychologists who've studied this have a modest name for this phenomenon they've uncovered. They call it the Fundamental attribution error. Uh, that sounds kind of pretentious to me. They also call it actor-observer bias. I think that's more revealing. That's a better label because it highlights the asymmetry here, our tendency to make different moral judgments when it's ourselves who are the agent who's being judged uh, than when it's somebody else that we're observing. Right. So, okay, we morally evaluate self and other differently. We've established that. But here's a question. Are we better or worse at evaluating ourselves than we are at evaluating others. Well, you'd think you might be better because, you know, you, usually you're pretty good at knowing what's going on inside. You're better at knowing if you have a stomachache than if somebody else does. But actually, moral self-evaluation turns out to be very tricky. T tell me more. Well, consider the following scenario that might occur in a workplace. The boss asks a relatively high-level worker to perform some menial and boring task. It's really beneath the employee's pay grade, but they're a team player, so they go along with it, they do it, they don't enjoy it. 
good for the worker. Good, good for the worker. Now, two or a couple of weeks later, the boss asks another worker, somebody at the same level, same pay grade, to help out with the same boring, monotonous, menial task. And this person refuses. Uh-oh. Nothing whatsoever negative happens to the second worker. They aren't punished in any way. The boss just accepts. Well, he had a right to refuse and moves on. Now, how do you think the first worker is going to feel about well, this? Well, like a sucker? I mean, look, it wasn't his job. The boss obviously realized that she had no right to expect or demand his compliance because he moved on when the second worker said no. Plus, the worker got absolutely nothing out of it. That sounds like a textbook definition of a sucker to me, John. Well, you may be right, but that's not the way the worker himself will tell the story. He'll paint himself not as a sucker, but as a saint, someone willing to go above and beyond the call of duty for the sake of the greater good. And I suppose to be consistent instead of painting his co-worker, the one who didn't go along, as someone firm, assertive, willing to stand up for his own rights, he'll tell himself that the other guy is just, I don't know, a self-centered jerk concerned only about his own well-being? That's exactly right. We want to have a positive moral self-image and we'll pump ourselves up and denigrate other people in order to get there. So it turns out, when we're thinking about ourselves, much of what we believe about ourselves is self-serving confabulation that just serves to protect a possibly false image, false self-image. And you know, there's this other phenomenon called moral self-licensing. We use that delusional self-image as a license for further morally problematic behavior. But, Ken, we're philosophers. We need to believe in objective morality. Uh, our department has, has several positions devoted to this so-called subject. It, it better exist or we're in trouble. But what, what if there's nothing underwriting this whole phenomenon except our own confabulation? That would be terrible. It would be. So it's a good question. Is there anything more than confabulation in our moral evaluation of self and others? Let's put that question to our guest. Now, our guest is the renowned social psychologist Benoit Monin. He's from Stanford University, from Paris, actually, by way of Stanford University. And we'll want our live audience, hopefully not self-deluded, to help in this conversation, too. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, looked into people's moral self-evaluations in some more practical and familiar areas. She files this report. The way we see ourselves morally affects the decisions we make every day. Like whether to cheat on taxes, or recycle, or drive a car. Just ask any serious bicyclist. Do you have a car? Mm -mm. No car. I ride my bike everywhere I go. To be honest, I don't think of it as a moral decision. I think it's the right decision. It's one less car. You know? I mean, if everybody were doing it, it'd be a million less cars. You know? so. The driver's like a beast, it's like a monster, a car's like a monster on the road, like they have the advantage, it's like all oh, those evil guys. The way we see ourselves morally even affects the way we eat. I wanted to be vegetarian ever since I was little because I hated the texture of meat. Sarah Smart is a writer and vegan in San Francisco. Meat hasn't passed her lips in more than 10 years. You know, the loftier thing that I believe is that we don't need to and so we shouldn't be um, subjugating animals, other people, the environment for our own purposes. Smart says she doesn't tell people she's vegan because it seems to make them uncomfortable. They'll start talking about being vegetarian for six months in college, and sometimes they'll get defensive. A lot of people want to feel better about what they're doing, and when they're um, confronted with a lifestyle as some people call it extreme, as mine, 
they kind of maybe feel an inherent guilt that maybe they're not doing enough. And then there are people like David Budworth. He's a butcher. But he says he actually admires vegetarians because they're making the moral decision not to eat meat. Budworth, too, makes a moral decision, the decision to look a carcass in the eye, break it down, and eat it. There's the whole idea of gross, wherever it came from, but like a whole animal to people is gross. You know, they'll buy a whole chicken, but if the head's still on it, then it's gross. And to me, it's not gross. To me, it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. And, and the art of what I do for a living is, that's one of the things that I love about what I do, is the art of being a butcher. Budworth is not squeamish. He has slaughtered his own meat, and he always kills his lobsters by hand before boiling them. It's an active role in, in me doing that. For one, it's not just throwing it in a pot and, and putting a lid on it and being like, oh my God, I can hear them scream. You know, I want to deal with that if I'm going to, you know, especially on that level. But like Smart, the vegan, Budworth, the butcher, says he sometimes makes people uncomfortable. Their first reaction is kind of repulsion. They're kind of like, oh, like, like... I'm instantly some badass, right? Some, you know, I get this a lot where it's like they just picture me covered in blood and like swimming in guts. And both Budworth and Smart admit sometimes it's hard not to judge people. People who blindly consume without considering the impact their choices have on the environment or without considering where their food comes from. Budworth says if people ate the way he eats, they'd be spending a lot more money and eating less. Instead of $4.99 a pound for this steak, you're going to be paying $20.99. And, you know, so I like I tell people, you know, eat half as much, spend the same money, and you're, you're helping the country, you're helping everything be healthier, everything, all the way across the board. As for Sarah Smart, she doesn't think she's morally perfect, but she does think before others judge a vegan, they should first look at themselves. I think people, if they do feel... Um, offended or irritated just by my existence, that's a sign to them that they need to think more about what they're doing. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Ash. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.